sex talk Derek and Miley Cause sexuality is tough And okay sex just isn't good enough No Sex talk With Derek and Miley Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. Uh, I brought uh, yet another Twitter crush to you. <laughs> I, I find all of my the wonderful people and interact with. Uh, essentially, I've, I feel like we have like a almost almost like a sex um, Twitter, like hashtag sex educator, certified educator slash sex therapist <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I brought you Gigi Engel, A C S C S E C S C, an award-winning feminist author, certified sex coach, sexologist, and sex educator. Now in school to be sex therapist. We have found that we are twins at so many levels already. Gigi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So we're going to jump right in because you you wrote a you wrote a really cool book and and I think that this book especially when I'm talking to my my clients when uh, listeners email one of the things that I am again and again struck by is who was who helps uh, all of us walk through some of the sexual questions that we have from being young people and then forward. And you wrote this book called All the Fucking Mistakes, which, you know, beautiful, beautiful title, by the way. Um, essentially trying to give women a friend, a cousin, a sister to walk through, learn about sex, love, and life. What really surprised you on your own journey and maybe through this book? Like you like you learned something about love and sex and thought, well, maybe that might be new. <laughs> So I actually wrote the book. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of semi-autobiographical because like the, the book is basically based off of, it's a different time of my life, this, this book. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. written at a time when I was at the, a sex columnist and mm-hmm. a sex researcher and journalist. So I was not, at the time when I was first writing it, I wasn't a certified sex educator. I was in the process of becoming a certified sex educator. So a mm-hmm. lot of my experience and lessons from the book are based on on my personal experience, mm-hmm. which was being kind of a fuck girl, messed with people, like was a kind of did some manipulative stuff I'm not proud of, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like really kind of exploring my own sexuality and doing this manipulative stuff because I like was, I was behaving in a way that I thought was like the the colloquial cool girl mm. and trying not to, ca- you know, cat doing, doing air quotes, like catch feelings and being mm, just like I cool see. and sleeping with people and didn't really take into account that guys and women, like women, <laughs> the women I was with, I especially regret, honestly. Uh, but like the people I was dating would like have feelings for me <laughs> mm. and I would like not treat them very well. There were like some, I did have a lot of experiences that were like also quite abusive and traumatizing towards myself, which Mm. I think also influenced some of this behavior. But like a lot of what I learned along the way influenced the way that I was writing and helped me develop my voice because it, it, the way that I grew up, the way that I was brought up around sex really, Mm. really uh, gave me the voice that I had. And when I, my first, so I started working at Elite Daily, which was, uh, which is a millennial focused website uh, that focuses on 
all sorts of issues. These days, they're extremely reputable. At the time, we were kind of like a content farm where like it was mm. kind of the early days of of these kinds of mass websites like BuzzFeed was even new. And mm-hmm. it was basically like, you know, listicle stuff like, you know, 10 reasons why your dad was your first love or like 10 reasons why your sister's your best friend and like, you know, stuff right. like that. So you could just basically write whatever you wanted. But it was, mm. a, it was an amazing space for me to grow my voice because I had little to no structure. Uh, I had a very cool editor, Caitlin Colley, always will appreciate her. She like basically wouldn't censor anything that I wrote. So I was able to get as like raunchy and weird with it as I wanted. And she was down. Very cool. I, it sounds like a, it sounds like a really interesting place in your life to kind of get to play with these different, for lack of a better way to put it. Cause I almost, as you were describing it, I almost was like, this sounds like a trope that we as women haven't really talked a lot about. I I, I think we've seen it, see it represent, represented in, in movies culturally, like the cool girl idea, like you were talking about. Yeah. But I, I don't know that like the idea of the, the fuck girl has been truly fully explored or, or at least maybe even inside of ourselves. Cause I definitely get clients who are wrestling with this idea. The thing maybe well, that you want to, if you want to learn about the fuck girl, read my book. <laughs> yeah. But in our t- women in their twenties that might experiment with this. I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, maybe, maybe an identity, maybe it's a a cultural identity. I think what it is, is that it's your, your, it's a, it's a bit of a power grab. Yeah. Uh, We kind of, we live in a world that is systematically designed to favor men and Mm. put women at a disadvantage. So sometimes taking on this role of a fuck girl can be like a very, it's the, opposite of a fuck boy in case Mm -hmm. anyone didn't catch that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It feels like you're almost like taking back the power, but Mm. the, but when it's like, and and in some ways that can be very empowering behavior to like, you know, have sex with in a way, like it can be healthy, like having sex with who you want, like feeling comfortable with yourself, like taking your identity back, like not being uh, subjugated by like the feelings of men or, or partners and, and just kind of like owning your own life and like really kind of being putting your own needs before other people, but where it Mm -hmm. falls into fuck girl status is like where you start being as bad as, as men can often be by like being manipulative and being Mm. coercive, not necessarily coercive, but kind of like, you know, going on dates so that someone will pay for dinner and then like ditching them and leading people on or cheating on people because you don't have enough self-esteem to tell them that you don't want to see them anymore. And like that kind of behavior that's like toxic. I I think you're onto something about that power grab that when you, when you have felt powerless, regardless of what has happened in your life, we will experiment with different ways to get any kind of power back. And I can't tell you how many times I have a past. Oh, sorry, didn't interrupt you. I was going to say I have a past it, with like sexual assault with um, yeah, uh, like a lot of times where like my agency was taken from me, and so mm. that that period of my life, like my early my like late teens, early twenties, were very much like a and early to mid twenties was like a, a time of me like really behaving in a way that was like reactionary to that. I think. Mm. Rather than like cultivating, it's kind of it's mm-hmm. almost like I, I'm I'm hearing a difference and a distinction that you're making there. Yeah, 
but it was, it was also a period of like immense growth at the same time. It's like, you know, I got this job. I started writing about sex. The thing was, was like, I think because I was so, and I, I am still to this day, it's like, this is kind of like, this is kind of my personality. I, I shouldn't say this is like something that came out. This has always been kind of how I am. I've really never given mm-hmm. a fuck. <laughs> like, oh, can we swear on here? We can, right? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So like, I really, like never, my favorite I really word. like never given a fuck. So like the way that I had gotten the job in the first place was like, I was in college and I wrote this since removed it. It was on the internet for a long time. So I kind of thought it showed my roots, but it was mm-hmm. this blog called cigars and jewelry. And it was like a blog that I had started on like blog spot, you know, like back in the day. Oh yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Like when blogging first became a thing where I would like overshare like really intense, like graphic stories about like my dating life and sex life. Mm-hmm. And, so, like, and I, th- I that, thought it's it like that, like live journal. It was, it was stuff. like that. Yeah. It was kind of like the, the, the next generation of, of live journal where it was kind of yeah. like an, where it was like before word, right before WordPress mm-hmm. it was like these okay. blog spots. So like I had this blog and I would share all this stuff and I guess like her, a person who worked at elite daily, like was somehow got onto the blog. Like was I got a pretty mm. decent following because I was was like sparing no details. Yeah, I think at at that point, it, it's never really affected me. But I kind of came of age as a writer in a time where I wasn't. We were not as a culture fully aware of the pervasiveness of what we say stays on the internet forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or how many know people, yet. how many people will have access <laughs> like it never even occur- it never even occurred to me first of all I was extremely self-centered at this point in my life but also like it never occurred to me that the guys I actually hooked up with would ever see what I had written yeah. and I had one guy who I dated who was he was a scumbag to my defense but he like fully read a bunch of my blogs and actually like had some like really thoughtful and nice things to say about it so I have to like and his nickname on the blog was the Chubby Scotsman, and he seemed to like, <laughs> which is like a horrible, mean like name for him. And like he didn't, ha- but he like never commented on that. He was just like, "Oh, like I saw your blog, and you're like, quite a good writer." And I was like, "Oh, thank you." After he'd been like such a piece of shit to me, but um, <laughs> but I mean, I think you're also you're also speaking to this. There's a there's a small part of this cultural piece of talking about dating that. Where even sometimes with groups of friends, we will name people that we are dating, not necessarily their real name. And we will, even when we're talking to our friends about it. Well, it's like, they, I think it's a part of like the not, I mean, first of all, it's like you have to avoid liability as best you can. But also, <laughs> but also I think it's like it, because if you're talking to friends, you give them distinct characteristics because your friend's not going to remember like the, the five Brian's that you dated. Yeah. But they will remember Brian Brian with the gap tooth or like Brian Brian with the weird tattoo. Like they'll remember that. Was this a short one? (laughs) Is this short Henry or was this Henry who had the neck tattoo? And you're like, oh, short Henry. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. So they can contextualize stuff that they weren't there for. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. there, there's something there's some sort of cultural pieces to this that I think you're you're pulling mm-hmm. out that I think are important. So I mean, I mean along with that, so how do why is it do you think just based on your own journey? I mean, I know I have stories. Like why is it important to have that big sister, do you think? That that woman to help you understand your body and and sex. I mean, I think the reason I kind of became like the internet's agony aunt on uh, all things 
I became this character, Auntie Gigi, uh, was because like people, first of all, I've completely shit sex education. Uh, Same. Yeah. I was like, like anyone in the U S pretty much. And most places other than like, you know, Norway and the Mm -hmm. other Nordic countries and, you know, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. The Dutch, like, the Dutch like, know what the, they're doing. I was like, sorry, the, the Netherlands. <laughs> um, I was like, wow, that was dumb. I was like, to make it even worse the other day on a podcast, I called Canada Canada. So like, it's like, that's kind of where hey, I am in life, I just, suppose. I, you know, we can only I'm, get roll, I'm rolling with it. I'm rolling with it. After 2020? Like, yeah. We just have less abilities. I kind of became this like internet agony aunt and, and started like the Ask Gigi advice column because... Mm-hmm. I was getting all of these questions from, from readers who they were asking me questions like that to me. And I, and, you know, I was in kind of my own little world, my little like bubble of sex education where I thought were like very basic questions. And, Mm -hmm. and I mean, to this day, I still get questions that are like, I can't have uh, orgasm during penetration and I don't, and like I'm having penetrative sex and it's, I'm not orgasming and I don't understand why. And to me, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? But then I'm like, oh, I, under- I actually understand because it's like when you've grown up in a culture that is extremely driven by purity culture, like comes from, everything is a backdrop of religion and purity culture. We don't have sex education. We have um, parents who are who expect the, the teachers to talk about sex and then the teachers who expect the parents to talk about sex and nobody actually talks about sex. And we have no understanding of queer education, uh, mm-hmm. relationships, like no understanding, no mention whatsoever of the clitoris, like, or masturbation, anything like that. It's like people don't have the language. They don't have the understanding of their own bodies. It's kind mm-hmm. of like asking somebody to like walk in and be able to do basic math without having ever taken a math lesson. Right. Language acquisition is like one of our first things that we gain as humans. And yet we leave this entire section section of humanity out when it comes to language ac- acquisition. Exactly. And we and we don't we tr- we don't give sex any sort of context. And so and we don't give people a vocabulary and we don't give people an understanding of how to how to treat people who are sexual partners in a respectful manner. And, and like, we just don't have this subject. We, we have this, this like huge gap yeah. where it's like, we're happy to teach our kids about absolutely everything. But when it comes to sex, it's like this huge blank hole, unless you call it mm-hmm. like the capital T capital T B talk. And it's supposed to be this mm-hmm. one, this one talk you have with your kids, which is first of all, setting yourself up for disaster because that's extremely awkward and no like 12 year old wants to sit with their parents while they t- teach them like what a condom is. And right. also because sex education should begin from like the time kids are very little. Yes. And Absolutely. it should start with, you know, it's age appropriate, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with showing a six year old, like a diagram of a uterus and like a penis and, sh- and like the mm-hmm. ovaries and everything and showing them, like how babies are made and also beginning with like consent education and bodily autonomy. And like, Mm -hmm. and like you, and the fact that we like completely just abandon scientific data, the fact that every like places that have comprehensive sex education, lower STI rates, lower pregnancy rates. And Mm -hmm. then if you look at the U S and like, it's just, 
and lower sexual assault rates, of course. It's like, it's so, it's just like so mind boggling that we just like, it just choose to ignore these, these uh, like undisputed facts or just like, I guess they are disputed, but just like irrefutable facts, I should say, yeah. even though people try to refute them as much as possible. And so I took on this position as kind of being the internet agony aunt because like nobody else would, would. And it's really, really important for people to have somebody that they can go to and not necessarily me, but sort of like in general, like a sex positive, like cool aunt, a cool sister who like knows their shit, who they can talk to about sexuality that isn't uncomfortable because your parents have made it uncomfortable. You don't want to ask them questions. And other than that, it's like, what resources do you have? I also think that there is something to be said for taking the pressure off of parents in some ways, too. Because here's the reality. Mm -hmm. Parents have been given nothing to work from. <laughs> they are working from a zero, the no map, right? Like the no map. Yeah. They were not given a map themselves. So they just carry this Good moms this pressure. and bad, bad moms, bad dads and good dads. And you have to fit inside of the box. And if you don't, you're the worst person in the world. And parents become parents and we're like, oh, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to in my practice that just they, they feel paralyzed by it because of not only just maybe their own trauma, but their their own feel, feeling like they have to do it perfectly or go, they're going to fuck up their kid for the rest of their life. Like it's incredible pressure. A lot of what stops parents from having these conversations is that exact pressure of like very much a fear of like fucking up their kid and also mm -hmm. like their own personal discomfort around sexuality for good reason because they have grown up in a in a culture that has treated sex the exact same way like i can give my a personal example for my own life it's like my so my mother is actually quite sex positive herself and mm -hmm. uh she's quite she's quite a nudist at home like she just like like loves being naked all my friends in high school like met her naked like all of them <laughs> actually a, a, a kind of funny story that's kind of mean to my mom but actually like it's just like too good to not share like my I was with my friend Dylan he was gay and we were in we were in high school and he, she he had never met my mom before and she was like fully naked and he was like oh I wasn't a hundred percent sure I was gay before but I now sure am <laughs> and it was like really funny but also it's it's kind of like a a plus to my mom because she was rocking like the full 70s bush like a queen but she also has like a rocking body so i was like good yeah. on you but at the same good time job, i was like mom. can you put on maybe like a sarong when you've met meeting some a 15 year old you've never met for the first time i do think that is that 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 person in your life that helped kind of show you that Oh, you could, you can step outside of these cultural expectations. There's yes. some risk to it. So I, I think that's an important thing for us to talk about is yeah. what have been the risks to maybe even to you or to, to other women to, who do step outside of these cultural expectations? How has it changed? Who stays in your life? That's, that's actually, that's a, an, a fascinating question when it comes to my own personal life. I should say it's, it's a very fascinating question to myself. I think when you, you step inside this work yes, and you choose to be a woman who openly talks about sex in a public setting, 
there will be people who will stay and there will be people who will go. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of identity crisis during that time where, you you know, feelings of abandonment, feelings of, of being hurt, not really a lot of misunderstanding when, when people just don't understand or can't really understand. Like for instance, uh, an example from my life, which is why this is so poignant. I was in a kind of like my first, my first like real, real love was when I was like, I was like 24, 25 Mm -hmm. when we met. Um, And we were together for three and a half years, almost four and lived together. Mm. And I kind of thought he, I kind of thought I'd like had figured it out that like he was like my person and like it was, I had like figured it out. Not for any real reason did I think that. I think I just like, honestly, it's like, I think because I was talking so openly about sex, I wanted to be, have like a relationship locked down so I wouldn't have to worry about dating being like a public Mm. sex figure, which Mm -hmm. is like, now that I'm like older, I realize it's like problematic in itself. But like, so, and so he met me when I was originally like an editorial assistant and Mm -hmm. like, like not talking about sex publicly. So like a very different relationship dynamic. And my career basically exploded. Mm, and he he and I had very different ideals about like what marriage would mean for us, that kind of thing. Like he really wanted me to stay home with our kids, which I, I really actually is something I would like to do. I already do work from home and I really want to stay home with my children as well. But he ex- mm-hmm. basically expected me to give up my career. He started getting very uncomfortable with Really, I think what it kind of boiled down to was how much success I was having. Mm. And then, so he was kind of uncomfortable with that because he himself, I think, was a bit envious of that, which is me. That's just an assumption from my, from my own perception. But really wh- where the relationship breaking point came was I wrote an article in 2017 about anal sex for Teen Vogue. And mm. I didn't realize I had written plenty of racy stuff for them before. Right like plenty of things that I like could have garnered plenty of attention. But this article, people like lost their fucking minds. I it, to this oh, I to bet. this day and I have written hundreds and thousands a bazillion at this point articles. It's the it is to this day the most subversive article I've ever written apparently in culture. Huh. People lost their fucking minds. This like so like to the point where this like woman who's like a neo-nazi as it turns out did a book burning of like a bunch of issues of teen vogue but i'm so not affected by trolls that my response to it was she thought i was in print like didn't even occur to me that like like that was my reaction and like meanwhile i I mean my partner at the time is yeah, that was my reaction. I didn't because I've never but given a fuck. I just don't give a fuck. Well, but I mean, also like this, it's also kind of not a surprise because anytime we talk about teenagers being sexual, oftentimes that is yeah. when people become the most, uh, yeah, I don't aggressive. know, probably uncomfortable, and then the, as a result, aggressive. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, we were talking before about promiscuity. I yes. was called a sodomite on Fox News by Sean Hannity. Like the word <laughs> sodomy in, in 2017 on a major Ooh, news I want to see his I want to I really want to see his the the history on his computer. I don't know if I don't know if he named I would love to see the history on his computer. I am going to guess it has a plenty of free sites on there. Oh yeah. But he like so he was like Teen Vogue 
is, and this writer is a sodomite. And I was, and so people kept calling me a pedophile and a sodomite and all this stuff. And the article itself, if you read it, it has diagrams that I did, like I did with the, like the, the illustrator there. It's just a uh-huh. very, very straightforward article about the risks and the positives and how to do it safely. Just mm-hmm. a basic explainer. Yes, it is. It is so straightforward. And I was really lucky because, you know, I was a freelancer. It was originally my editor, uh, Vera Papasova's idea to write the article. And so I wrote Mm. it not even really, didn't even, I didn't even think twice. I was like, yeah, for sure. I can do that. Like wrote it. And she and Phil, I forget his last name, Phil Ellis, I think. He was at at the time the editor in chief of Teen Vogue. He, Mm. uh, Philip Ellis, excuse me, I think is his name. He and all of Teen Vogue and Condé Nast like stood behind me. They were mm-hmm. like, he and he himself is a gay man. And he was like, this is like homophobia. This is fucked up. But the point being like my, yeah. my partner at the time, it was kind of like we were having a lot of problems for a long time. But it was it, that was basically the breaking point mm. where he like at that point just couldn't handle the pressure. And it was never about my safety. It was always about his safety. Like he was afraid people were going to find his information and dox him and all this stuff. And I was like, and I, I think this probably didn't help with the breakup, but I was like, dude, no, nobody gives a fuck about you. Mm-hmm. I was like, this isn't about you, dude. Yeah. And, and it's like, you have several examples of that, of that, like pushing up against whatever, however he saw his identity. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. He thought he was much more important than he was. The day that we broke up the break, really like the the last straw was like, I got this email from a guy that was, it was exceptionally violent. And at one point he said, I hope I want, I want to, I'm going to rape you to death. And I posted the photo online and my mm. boyfriend's response was, you showed that guy's email. Now he's going to get harassed by all of your followers. Oh, yeah, that would have been the end. And I left the apartment. And, you know, it's really sad. I left the apartment and he actually ended up breaking up with me the next day. Like, I didn't even think because like breakup was never like on. I never thought we could break up, even though right. looking back, I'm like, obviously. But now at, at the time it was like, what? Me? Like the looking back, I'm like, oh wait, yeah, no, obviously. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty, and also I think when you're, you know, you think you're so wise when you're twenty seven, but then you look back and you're like, of course. Mm, I was an idiot. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll look back at thirty in five years and be like, man, that was stupid. Uh, yeah, probably when we're maybe when we're. I, I'm not looking back at that. I'm thirty seven, and I'm not looking back at thirty yet and going that was stupid. I think probably when I'm maybe when I'm sixty, maybe that's when I'll start looking back. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes me feel better because I was like, I hope I'm not looking back at now in like five years. And I'm like, God, I was a dumbass. I really feel like I have my, like my life together in so many ways that I didn't at that time. But, um, as, speaking as far as, and I also had like, you know, I had a, I had a best friend as well at the time. He was like this, I don't think so had, had so much to do with my, my career mm-hmm. is that I think he just, he and I grew apart in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but like our relationship was no longer compatible. We had been best friends since high school. And actually I, I mourn the friendship of this loss so much more than this, so much more than I ever did my relationship with this dude. <laughs> Cause uh, we would, we had been, you know, best friends since we were like, we for like 
ever since we were in high school, since we like lived together all through college. And then like two year, a year and a half or two years after college, like had always lived together, went to the same college, like followed each other to New York. Well, he didn't follow me, but like I was already at college and he basically, I was a year older than him. So he came a year after me. He didn't follow me there, but like we like, that's how we got super, super close was like, he had moved. We lived together forever and we were like the bestest, bestest friends. And then like our relationship kind of fell apart. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were growing up, but I think that some of it had to do with the fact that he was quite judgmental. He was a very judgmental person. And like, I think one of the things you find when you start becoming a part of the sex positive space and you find, and now that I've found my people, people like you, people like within the sex positive Twitter community, of course, and here in London where I'm living, people in New York, like all over the place, uh, those those small microcosms, you kind of, once you find your like-minded people, you realize that like, you actually don't have to put up with that bullshit. I, I, you are onto something here that I think is, I, I myself have definitely across this, the interest in not only just sex therapy, but being, showing up wholly and fully as myself. I think that that includes truly our sexual selves and being able to communicate about sex has been part of that. But like that box that we are as women expected to play within, much like men have a box, like we, the risks to us, like you, you just stated a very clear one. You got an email that said that I'm going to rape you to death. So the consequences Mm -hmm. of being outside of these cultural norms for many of us is death. Mm -hmm. That's That's scary shit. And that's, it's hard to confront. It's, it's very difficult. I think the risks to women are, it's kind of immeasurable compared to men. And like, you know, that's a word that I'm, I'm used, that's used that people say to me that never, it hadn't resonated. It didn't resonate for so long. Cause I guess I like just, maybe I was like, I think I was maybe blocking off my, I was so desensitized, I should say, to like abuse from online mm. people. It's been, you know, it's been so long since I've been writing online that like, it doesn't really phase me. I think that I didn't really realize like that people are always telling me that I'm brave. And it was always like, I'm always like, "Mm, not really. I just like to talk about like, you know, sucking dick on the internet. Who gives a shit? I have to wonder, is it, is there a difference between being brave and being numb? Maybe not. I think, I think being brave is a bit, probably a more active stance. I don't think the behavior is different. It's probably more like intention. Um, I I do now, like I understand, I think I'm much more in tune with my, especially now that I'm starting to practice psychotherapy and in like working in psychotherapy and in grad school, I'm kind of in a space where I'm exploring more of how these things have have affected me. But really Mm. I found that like what the ultimate, uh, realization despite like you know there is hardship and it comes with a lot of sacrifice because being a woman basically always comes with sacrifice but if you want to talk about sex it's like a whole different ball game is that it makes you really really strong and really really sure of yourself and it really 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 teaches you who you are and you do not put up with bullshit anymore oh absolutely i really feel like there is something to be said for sitting in that power of understanding your sexual self and pleasure that is 
it I, I know for me, you know, I won't I won't speak for you. I it absolutely unlocked a fearlessness mm-hmm. that I, I think anytime you have ever been a uh, trauma a trauma survivor, mm-hmm. I think you unlock a certain level of I, and you name it beautifully, which is less fucks to give or zero fucks to give. Yeah. But also yeah. this there is this this power of being able to say, you know, it's OK for me to have pleasure and it's OK for me to understand my body. And you can you can just fuck right off if you if you have any judgments about me for that. And I do think it narrows your circle. I think the thing, Erica, is like when you become like a sexually empowered woman, you are mm. untouchable. Woo! Yep. Absolutely. There is not a fucking thing anyone can use. You're like, yeah, come at me, bitch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think. I think when when I because I I did a, I did a lot of work, um, and the listeners are aware I worked a lot of the uh, with a lot of people who have committed sexual crimes, and wow. I think that there, that there is something to what you just said, that, that facing that facing and facing the people who have done those things, mm-hmm. like it does, it gives you a sense of self that cannot, it, it just, I, I cannot be, it, I can't be shook. You can get me to get to a fighting place for sure. <laughs> to want to be a bulldog for somebody, but I don't know that. I, I I definitely have encountered many many a man, for sure. They find out that I own my own business and that I know more about sex than they do, and it is a problem. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's like they immediately either resort to slut shaming or some sort of negging most of the time. Yes, because exactly it, that, <laughs> and it's hilarious to uh to watch them kind of struggle with their own lack of self-awareness and you can it's like you can see it in their eyes like the short circuiting mm-hmm. like uh, for instance like i've started so i've started doing this thing so i was saying before we started recording that i have a i have hypermobility and right now i have a of the joints and i have a an injured wrist so now i'm wearing a a wrist guard when i'm out in public and mm-hmm. i and now my default response when men come up to me, when my like my husband will be like in the bathroom, and so like immediately like gross dudes are coming up to me. <laughs> Welcome to the world of being a woman, and like will ask me immediately mm-hmm. ask me about the brace because it's kind of, they think it's going to be disarming, and I immediately say I actually sprained my wrist because I'm a rigger in shibari, and then the <laughs> the immediate response is well what's shibari, and I'm like it's uh, the art of Japanese rope tying. I tie mostly men into human chandeliers with ropes. <laughs> And they're like, I'm like, and then I immediately, they're like dumbfounded. And then I just go, it's a sex thing. (laughs) And they get so freaked out. Three times I have done it. Three times they've walked away. That's right. That's right. It's like, (laughs) get out of here. I I do. This this kind of like shifting gears, but I think it's completely related. I think it was yesterday you tweeted uh, that you'd love to see the browser histories of all the people who say porn is evil. Yeah, and uh, you know, we'd already mentioned we'd some... love to see Sean Hannity's browser history, but I, didn't didn't Pornhub do a state by state basis like basis of the data collection they've done on what people are watching in each state? I think yeah. that gives us some evidence of what all of these yeah. people who say that don't that porn is evil, um, what they're actually watching. Yeah, I mean Pornhub, you know, being owned by Mind Geek, sort of like the evil like whatever corporations that they're owned by. They actually have like. 
a pretty dedicated research team that they like that, that that like handles a lot of these like really interesting stats and is not afraid to share their data mm-hmm. like at all. In fact, like publicizes that I get, a, I probably get a PR email from them like twice oh, a yeah, week. Oh yeah, every year. With, the, like all of the, these the statistics infographic that they put out. Interesting. I love their infographics. They're so well researched, really well done, and. Speaking of like not giving a fuck, they clearly do not. But yeah, like speaking <laughs> yeah. of like speaking of people who like hate, they were uh, actually was reading a. I was I heard I was listening to a podcast. This is just based on a podcast that I had heard. But like, the, I think he's a researcher at Pornhub, and he was saying mm-hmm. that like in the set like southern states specifically, kind of like below the Mason Dixon line, the mm-hmm. like the number one there are two like the two main searches when it comes to porn are gay gay porn and is my husband gay <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not a surprise i we actually right this moment live in southwest florida uh this is this is in the before time of course but anytime i a I'm lot so of times i will i will uh, not right now yo it this summer sucks here it's it's rough <laughs> 90 degrees with friggin 100 percent humidity is not in October, no, November. That's when you can be jealous of the Florida weather. That's but anyway, fair. like they, they, they honestly, um, every time I'm, I have been out and we're out at a, at a bar or something and someone asks me what I do, especially if it is um, an older male, usually I get complete silence until then they've had a few beverages and then they're coming over and t- asking me questions about why their dick doesn't work. Yeah, shocker. Um, so and it's and it's and it's within 20 minutes, right? Like it's every single time. Every single time. Oh yeah. It's like with that it's almost like clockwork. You just wait. Yeah. Yep. Or I have wait. like I have guys like where I'll say like I'll kind of like we'll meet I'm so I'm I'm quite I'm actually quite an introverted person like in person. But when I get a couple drinks in me, I'm suddenly like the bell of the fucking ball. So I'm just like <laughs> like talking to random people all the time and like that's not me at all. Uh, so like I was like at one point talking to these like cons- I talked to these guys at a different table than us that we were sitting at at a bar a while back like in the before times or not really the before mm-hmm. times but it was like when some restrictions were lifted and I at that point mm-hmm. speaking of like I, I have to say like when it comes to coronavirus I was definitely like late to the understanding how bad it was game mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of like it's kind of uh, yeah so I'm at a bar and I'm kind of doing the chatty chatty thing that I do. And mm-hmm. I start talking to these like random guys at a different table. <laughs> My husband, like, God bless him. He's like, he's quite a like sweet, stoic kind of guy. Kind of goes like goes along mm-hmm. with it. He kind of goes, he always is like so accommodating to my, we- like being a weirdo. And I'm like talking to these <laughs> random guys. They turn out to be like construction workers. They call them builders here or whatever. And they seem mm-hmm. really cool, whatever. And then they start saying like, which is kind of the, the it's like either guys are asking men are asking you like sex questions and like that's one thing but they were Mm -hmm. saying like really kind of like and at the time I was like a bit drunk so it didn't really register with me normally I would have told them to go fuck themselves but it like it didn't register with me until Uh the next day like how inappropriate some of the things they said were because like either guys will say like really sexually inappropriate stuff to you because they think they can because they make this assumption Mm. people who are not like people like these are kind of, you know, they're construction workers. They're not exactly like 
part of the sex positive community. They, uh, right. not that that's really an excuse for toxic masculine bullshit, but they, they make it an assumption that because I'm a sex therapist, I am sexually available to them. Meanwhile, I'm right. there wearing a wedding and engagement ring with my husband. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a test. It was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to like test my, te- it's, they, I think they're trying to test the parameters of my marriage a lot of the time. Like mm. they want to see how much they, and also how much they can get away with with me. Because they right. think they they think that people make all kinds of assumptions like that. I must be a huge slut who cheats on him all the time because I'm a sex therapist, that kind of thing, which is. Y'all don't see me nodding to Gigi right now. There's definitely assumptions based on when you're a therapist and like when you're a therapist, when oh, and God forbid, when you say you're a sex therapist. Yeah. Like at, at, I now like I, uh, I will just say I'm a journalist, not at bars, but like with uh, doctors and stuff. Cause I just like, I don't even want to, I'm not gonna talk about sex with my, with my doctors or like my physical therapist. And I don't even want to invite mm-hmm. those questions. So I'll just be like, oh, I'm a journalist. I don't even mention yep. the sex stuff. Cause it's like, I'm not even trying to do that. Cause I know that I think part, and it's kind of wraps back to like our whole point of like knowing your people. It's like randos that you meet at the bar are not going to be your people. That's right. And it might be fun to play, to play like Gigi who has the answers that night, Mm -hmm. but like ultimately those people are not going to become more sexually enlightened. Absolutely. I I think you're absolutely right in that. I definitely have my line, like I'm in communication or something absolutely innocuous when I don't want to answer questions because the minute I say I'm a therapist, that is when every single person needs to tell me, you know, every trauma they've ever had in their entire mm-hmm. life. And I didn't want to do that when I'm having beverages with my friends and family. Yeah. So I get it like that, trying to assess, okay, who, who, who belongs in your life and accepts you as Gigi or as Erica? Such a good barometer are the, are the emotional vampires in your life who don't treat you like a friend. They treat you like their therapist. That's okay. like, and I've had That's plenty right. of people come into my life where I, and I set that boundary pretty early on where I'm like, I am obviously know a lot about sex. If you're having a sexual issue or boyfriend issue, I am here for you as a friend. I do not want to be your therapist and I will not be your therapist. And I have people who don't understand mm-hmm. that boundary will disregard it. And those people don't, don't stay in my atmosphere for very long. That's right. I remember the first time I had met someone new and I keep my, I keep my circle pretty tight as well for very similar reasons. And I remember when I was meeting somebody and she actually named it before I had ever addressed it with her. She said, I don't want to just be your friend because you're a therapist. And it was like the first time anybody had actually volunteered that before I had said it. And I was like, oh, you're in. (laughs) Isn't that amazing how like you don't even realize sometimes what you need until someone gives it to you and you're just like, oh, wow. That's why it's very difficult for me these days to have friends who are not who are just like not actively a part of the sex positive community because like they just don't understand boundaries. Yes, absolutely. Or they're or they're threatened and can be really cruel. 
which I have definitely encountered too. So oh my I, God. Gigi, Gigi <laughs> I, you are just a joy. And we'd figured out we were twins very early in our conversation before we started recording. And I just am feeling so lucky to have gotten a chat with you. So how do, how do people find you in the world? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Gigi Angle. That's G-I-G-I-E-N-G-L-E. You can also find me on my website, MissGigiAngle.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter called The G-Spot. And it's, in my opinion, very funny. And it comes out every Monday and there is a personalized message from me there. You can find the Ask Gigi column from that week, which is where I give advice on a commonly asked question from readers, as well as a roundup of my favorite articles. And, you know, you can also email me if you have a specific question about coaching or therapy, Gigi at MissGigiAngle.com. Thank you again. You're just fantastic. And uh, folks, we have been lucky to listen to Gigi today. Please go find Gigi in all of those places. Everything will be in the show notes. And thanks for listening to the end. We'll see you next time.